Club for the Strange and Unusual. I'm Jonathan. I'm Rebecca. And our special guest today is... Sarah, again! (laughs) (laughs) She's back! We're over Zoom. We're not in Maine this time, but Sarah joined us for today's book as well. And today... We're discussing The Haunting of Ashburn House by Darcy Coates. And in today's book, Adrienne inherits a house from an aunt she never knew existed. But after moving in, she learns that her aunt was an eccentric who rid the house of any mirrors and left cryptic messages scrolled all over the house. When a new acquaintance is injured on the property, Adrienne discovers that a sinister presence haunts the house she's inherited. And with nowhere else to go, she must piece together the mystery before she becomes its next. Next victim. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. <laughs> Rebecca, can you tell us more about Darcy Coates? Yes. Uh, she didn't have a lot of information available anywhere that I looked, but she did have a little blurb on her website. So that's what we're going to go with. Uh, Darcy Coates is the USA Today bestselling author of Hunted, The Haunting of Ashburn House, Craven Manor, and more than a dozen horror and suspense titles. She lives on the central coast of Australia with her family, cats, and garden full of herbs and vegetables. She loves forests, especially old growth forests where tree dwarfs and anyone who steps between them. Wherever she lives, she tries to have a mountain range close by. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Darcy Author. Nice. I was really drawn to read her books because if you go to any Barnes and Noble or Books a Million, like every, like there are a bunch of authors who have one or two books and then there's Stephen King and Joe Hill, his son, and then there's Darcy Coates and each of them have like dozens of books on the shelves. Yeah. So I had never read anything by her and honestly, I, I'm a fan now. Yes. I'm going to dive into that series of many, many. I think I will too. And honestly, when I saw the cover of the book, I was like, is this going to be anything like the haunting of Hill house or something like (laughs) that? Where I was like the imagery on the cover, is it comparative? No, it's totally like, to me, it's a different feeling, but still very suspenseful and creepy. I think it is a different feeling. It's definitely a different book, but I think if you like the haunting of Hill house, this fits in that same niche. Yes. Agreed. It definitely was classic haunted house, which is what I wanted it to be. Yes. Yes. So Sarah, can you tell us your general thoughts about the haunting of Ashburn house? Sure. Um, I really, I really liked this book. I think I liked that uh, it was very, I felt like on the edge all the time and I was wanting more information like uh, you know, Adrian kind of got thrown into like, oh, here's this house that you get and uh, that has been left to you. And she has no idea who this person is, which is wild uh, and has no memory of them, even though she met this person as a child uh, that owned the house. And so um, I think I really liked the progression of just all the creepy elements of the book. And I was wanting more information all the time. Like I wanted to know what the history was or what choices she was going to make. Because in the moments where she's feeling uh, like something happens and she feels frantic in the moment, the decisions she makes, (laughs) most of the time I was like, I think I would just run away (laughs) and never look back. Uh, So it's just fascinating that she is trying to find more information about the house. And because of her situation that she's in, she has no money. 
right? She has nothing else. Like she has to stay in this house because she's got nothing uh, but a cat. And like when she gets there, what, $20 in her pocket? Um, And she's like, I have to make this house work. Uh, But all of the history, I love the intense moments. I felt like I couldn't uh, like foresee what was actually going to happen in the book. And um, there were some really creepy elements. The scuttling. Of, I know. I can't. When I read that and uh, of, well, what we thought was Edith, but it was actually Eleanor, right? Oh, yeah. spoiler, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> In case it's your first time, in case it's your first time listening to this podcast, we're going to ruin the book for you. But, uh, you know, this is a podcast for you to read with us. So you should have already done your homework. (laughs) Exactly. So I think just I liked the we're thinking the whole time that this is Edith and the fact that the whole like it just I was blown away by the change of the storyline and who it really was. And uh, Edith, Edith is just such an interesting character to me in general. Uh, the fact that her whole family was slaughtered by her sister. And then uh, she had to like deal with her, like, cause then she took in all the years, right? From her, because she ate them. It's just so disgusting. <laughs> and so then she, um, she takes in all their life that they had left. And so um, I just, I did not predict any of that. And so I really, um, it kept me on my toes. I really liked it. I liked the characters. Um, I couldn't decide through the whole book. I think I really liked that. I, I didn't know if Edith was good or bad. Like it kept going back and forth for me. And um, I wanted her to be good. So I'm glad in the end it did. And I just loved the ending of them sitting together and she's like, I'm going to read a book because she has to read out loud because Edith is in the mirror, right? Uh, and is basically a ghost. And so I like that they're just going to kind of live in harmony together, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be interesting if she ends up dating. Like, how do you explain this to someone? I kind of thought about that. Like, oh, I have this weird history and you might see someone in the mirrors. It's totally <laughs> fine and normal. So uh <laughs> that's part of what I liked most about this book is it is very much like it's a cozy singleton's book where I feel like uh Adrian it the drama in the story is not about her like oh I wish I had a boyfriend or any of that no she has her life set up she's a freelance writer in the beginning she's got her cat the only thing not going well for her is she's broke and her right. mom recently passed away. And so she inherits this house and she thinks, oh my gosh, this is too good to be true. And it turns out it is because it comes with this curse and it comes with this presence that she has to figure out how to manage. Uh, and basically that's gonna happen even after the end of the book, she still has to worry about managing the curse uh, of her great aunt on the house. And I really loved the ending like you I felt like it was so cozy where it ends with her having figured out how to manage this curse and it's just her and her dead aunt's ghost in the house and her cat and she's reading out loud to the both of them and I thought oh my god sign me up do (laughs) I have a great aunt who's gonna will me a house you might Uh, honestly even if it comes with a ghost I will fucking figure it out but also 
I was genuinely scared and I am rarely scared by books, Mm -hmm. but there were parts of this book where I like, I was like, it's too fucking late at night. I can't read this. And I put it down. And then I was like, well, now I can't sleep. So I have to read it. And there's no fat in this book. So there's no good stopping place. So it forced me to read the book so quickly because every single scene pushes you into the next one. She's really good at figuring out how to end a chapter so that you're like, fuck, I can't put it down. I have to keep reading. It's three in the morning. So I love that. (laughs) What were your thoughts, Rebecca? Um, I agree pretty much with everything that you guys said. It was definitely like I constantly kept turning the page, reading more, reading more. There was a part where I did have to stop reading because it was late. I was home alone and I got scared, which never happens. Uh, so I appreciated that. I also really liked that, um, what's her name? Adrian. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was very much aware that she was in a horror situation and she was like, oh, that's really stupid of me. I shouldn't do that. I should do this because if it was a bad thing, then I, I really liked that. It was like a fourth wall kind of situation. Yeah where she knew she was in a horror story mm-hmm. and she was like telling herself not to be dumb. I also <laughs> felt it was really well motivated those parts because like in some movies, they'll acknowledge it. That way they get the credit for being a smart enough writer to be like, yeah, I know it's cliche. So the author will be like, I shouldn't go in there. Oh, what am I doing? And then they do it anyway. And you're like, wait, but you just said you shouldn't. Right. Whereas in this, it was literally, she has nowhere else to live. And not only did she not have anywhere else to live, she didn't have the money to get anywhere else. Yeah. She didn't have the money for a hotel or it was late at night and her walk was 20 minutes away through these dark woods. And you're like, oh, she literally is fucked and has to stay there. So it was really well motivated. Yes. Okay. Even when she was in town and she got that money finally from some of the the pieces that she had written, mm-hmm. like she had to have those thoughts of like, do I buy a cell phone or do I buy something to actually help me arm myself? So it was like, but even if she had a cell phone, there's not great service at the house. So I liked that uh, interaction. And I think at the end of the book too, I I actually am a person, I don't really like cliffhangers. I don't like books ending where it's like, you imagine what happens, or it's like too much of a cliffhanger. I like this one. (laughs) I I liked that this one had a great ending, but there was still a little bit of mystery where it's like, there's still, I mean, Edith Edith is not completely gone, but it was one that I could digest and accept. So uh, I really liked that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Sarah, you had some thought-provoking questions for us. I do. Okay. Ready for the first one? Okay. So what if Adrian had found and read the letter that Edith had written for her? What if she actually found that when she first uh, arrived at the Ashburn house? Do you think Adrian would have stayed? Do you think she would have followed the rules or laughed it off based on her character What do you think, would that have completely changed the story? I think, I don't think she would have thought it was real. I think she would have thought Edith was crazy. And I think she would have disregarded it. But I do think that it would have shortened the dramatic action of the book. Yes. Because I think she was logical enough to realize like, oh shit, when it was happening, she definitely was like, okay, there is a ghost here. Mm -hmm. 
and so had she had the letter, I think eventually she would have followed the directions, yeah. but not right away. Yeah, I agree because she didn't have any anywhere else to go, any other money or anything. So she would have stayed and just been like, that's not real. And then eventually it probably would have clicked for her and she would have been like, oh, okay, it is real. All right, yeah. anyway. Do you think maybe though, like knowing the rules of Edith, of Eleanor, I keep, Edith Eleanor, uh, knowing the rules of Eleanor's, like, you know, being out in the daytime and kind of also knowing about the candle. Do you think maybe though, she would have not been hurt so much? Like, would it have been as dramatic or helpful for her if she knew what it was? I don't think it would have been as dramatic uh, and Coates would have had to find another way to inject that drama in it. But I think having her lose the letter gave her the best of both worlds because we got the explanation, but also uh, Adrian was ignorant and therefore vulnerable. Yeah. I am actually curious too about that letter because it was just there in the basement. And so I'm like, like, how did it fall through the cracks? Because I'm like, Eleanor's not in the house. I don't know. I'm just very curious. Like to me, it's a very Eleanor thing for it. Like, Ooh, slip it down. So you can't find it. Do you think it was like a, a whim that it was down there? I don't know. I actually thought it was an easier explanation than that. I think Edith wrote it a long time before she necessarily needed it, not knowing when she would die. And then she was a forgetful old lady living in the Mm -hmm. house and probably knocked it over. Yeah. Yeah. That makes more sense too fascinating mm-hmm. all right do you want my next question yes please okay. all right so uh if you were gifted a mysterious house from someone that you didn't know and there were lots of rumors that awful things happened there uh would you take it would you live there would you sell it uh, <laughs> jonathan's making lots of funny faces right now uh so like what what would you do? Like, it's just like, you don't know. There could, it could be haunted. There could have been crazy things. Like you just don't know. And it's from someone that was like, we knew each other at some point, but you don't know who I am. Here's this house. Rebecca. I mean, it would sound fishy as fuck. So I'd be like, well, there's obviously something wrong with it, but I want to find out what it is. So I would do it. I would absolutely do it. And I would drag you two with me and be like, hey, I've inherited a house. So come help me clean. That way, any ghosts, you guys are fucking dealing with it too. That's fair. I wouldn't be like, it's spam. It's spam. Somebody spammed me. I wouldn't even think anything of it. I'd be like, it's one of my old lovers, probably. I don't remember all their names. I can't be bothered. What was I supposed to write them down? All right, I have one last question. Okay. All right. So this is my favorite question. Do you think Edith made the best decision about Eleanor? So obviously deciding she w- what she was going to do when Adrian was a child, right? She binded herself to Adrian. She did the right? She cut each other's hands and then they shared blood together. So she bound herself to Adrian. It's like she decided already so many years ago when Adrian was a child, what was going to happen when she dies. So um, bringing her there upon her death to deal with Eleanor, do you think that there might've been another way that 
Edith could have handled the situation? Do you think, like, was there another option for her? It seems like she had quite a long time to think about this. Was there no way to, like, really get rid of Eleanor completely? I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, when her remains were in the the uh the grave I'm like I don't know flush them down the toilet would that have made a difference I don't know I just think about those things so your thoughts I think had she not decided to just keep a guard over the body and find another guard to take her place I think it would have meant that somebody else was vulnerable down the line, which I think was very important to Edith. I don't think she was worried about herself. I think she was very much worried about where would this go and how long would it take someone else to figure out what the fuck is happening? And so she decided, like, at least this way I can pass down, she thought, some instructions on how to prevent my evil sister from rising from the grave and terrorizing people. Uh, but I also am like, couldn't you have told a few more people so that if Adrian decided it wasn't going to be her mantle or if she didn't believe you, like that somebody could have been like, hey, it's real. Please take it seriously. Uh, so I do feel like maybe she could have, but also probably like she was the victim of a mass familicide. And so she probably felt like if she started telling people this, they would think she was crazy and a victim of trauma and not believe her. Yeah, very true. And I think because they were so close, uh, she kind of took it on herself, the responsibility, because she didn't really have a choice. Like what else would she do? Would she like tell her parents or something before they died or I don't know I don't think it, in the same boat I would make the same choices well and nobody it seemed like nobody knew she had a sister so they probably would have just thought she was absolutely crazy because the family had been covering up the sister's life because she was a bad person yeah exactly I don't know, but couldn't she put her in a box at least and locked it or something wouldn't that help I don't know it Just seemed thought. like it didn't I think she would have found a way to yeah. regenerate anyway yeah I think it was unavoidable yeah. yeah and because she had supernatural powers right when she was little they noticed those supernatural elements about her so she probably could have magicked her way out of a box too so it just made me think a lot about like could there have been another way Edith handed, handled the situation? I don't know. It's just fascinating to me that I'm like, I, you know, part of me was like, I feel a little sad that it was like all that Adrian went through, like all the physical pain too. And then to handle the situation. And I know technically Edith isn't even really gone at the end either, but I don't know. I don't know. Part of me is I'm like, you're just, having to hand it off to someone, but maybe she didn't have a choice. I don't know. I go back and forth on myself about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good questions. We're going to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. And then we're going to start the next part. There's no sponsor. I'm fucking with (laughs) (laughs) it. I made a face like, ooh, is this for reals now? There's sponsors for this podcast. That's exciting. Okay. Who would sponsor us? <laughs> Brought to you by Haunted Condoms. Honestly, Jack Daniels should sponsor us because we sponsor them, damn it. <laughs> okay, so we're on to the next part of our podcast, which is I'm going to ask you to cast the movie. Yeah. 
Ooh, do either of you? It's okay, Sarah, if you didn't think about it. We did, and you can just tell us which one you like better and who gets the part. I oh, great. That's my cast, favorite thing. I only cast Adrian and Edith. Same. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Let's hear your Adrian. Florence Pugh. <gasps> oh, that's a good one. She's so beautiful and so talented. Mainly because, do you need a picture? I can pull up a picture of her. She was in uh, Little Women. She was in Midsummer. She's in the new movie, uh, Something Darlings. Don't worry, darling. Don't worry, darlings, with all of that drama. Ooh. And here's a okay. picture of her. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and mine is, uh, I chose Rebecca Hall. I think Rebecca Hall is in a lot of scary British movies. Oh, yeah. And I think she just has a face made to be scared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think she looks like someone made to terrorize in a movie. Yeah. All right. So is it Rebecca Hall or Florence Pugh? I kind of like Florence Pugh because I feel like it fits the character for me. And I feel like her facial expressions and just the, it also, we didn't get to talk a lot about Wolfgang, but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Her cat. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go with Florence Pugh. Okay. Great Florence one, Rebecca. Pugh I like it. Shall play Adrian in the movie that we are totally ready to produce. So. Um, I was going to say that Guillermo del Toro should do this movie. <gasps> oh, yes. yes. Because Edith and Eleanor have like an almost mama quality. Did he direct mama? He did Crimson Peak. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think he did. I think he produced mama. But he's like really good, which leads me to my casting of Edith slash Eleanor. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about this one. It would be Doug Jones. <gasps> Doug Jones? Who is the person That's... who plays all of the horror characters. Yes. Okay. I'll show Sarah a picture of Doug Jones. He plays uh, Billy Butcherson in Hocus Pocus. He is uh, basically a very physical actor and he gets cast as monsters all the time. Ooh. Okay, so that is Rebecca's choice. I think he would be really good. Mine is Charlotte Rampling, uh, who is a beloved actress from, she's been acting since the 60s. She was a real babe in the 60s, but I think now she's like very elegant. And yeah. so I doubt she would take the part, right. <laughs> but I think if she did, oh, it would be really good. She'd be very creepy. Yeah, maybe her and Doug Jones. Yeah. She does Eleanor and he does Edith. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or reverse, reverse. reverse. <laughs> All right, Sarah, what say you? Yes, I love Charlotte. That is, I, I, that face is exactly what I pictured in this. Uh, sort of like when I'm reading, I picture like what the movie would look like in my mm -hmm. head. Uh, and I can see that face. I think she's a perfect Edith. Uh, but actually, I really like that idea that Doug Jones could be Eleanor. I think that would be so great. Yes. So Doug Jones, Charlotte Rampling, Florence Pugh, have your people call our people. <laughs> <laughs> We're ready. Done and done. Like scouters. <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk about our moan and our groan. Your moan is your favorite part because it makes you moan. And your groan is your least favorite part. Uh, so, Rebecca, will yes. you please tell us your moan and your groan? Okay, moan, favorite part. The paintings. The way they change mm -hmm. every time she looks at them. 
I was like, Ooh, that made my like skin tingle. And I was getting like, Ooh, I was like excited by it. Yeah. yeah. So that was my moan. Uh, my groan was the cat. I was constantly worried about the cat. Yes. Which made it very satisfying when nothing happened to the cat in the yes. end. Cause there, there's a part where the cat goes in where, you know, the monster is. Yes. And I was like, I am not fucking okay. I know. Well, that's exactly why. Like I'm the kind of person who, if there's an animal in a movie, I have to mm-hmm. look up on that website to see if the animal survives. I think you even Aww. texted me and you were like, does anything happen to the cat? I and I was like, the cat is fine. <laughs> I did. Cat's fine. Because I will stop. I will stop and be like, no, Yeah. I can't accept this. Don't read it. I feel like I ev- on it, but <laughs> everything you fucking love in that book is uh, like, don't get connected to people. Too scary for me. It's can't. very scary. Can't do it. I will say it was very satisfying at uh, when uh, at the end, when Adrian found that the cat was okay, because there was that whole scene where Wolfgang attacks Eleanor and then like Adrian has to go out of the basement and like, right, try to light the candle. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, the whole time I'm like, is he okay? Did Wolfgang die? And when we know he didn't, I'm like, that is a superhero fucking cat. <laughs> that is a badass cat. My cat would not do that. My cat, although I did see my cat eat actually like a fly the other day, which was bizarre. But there are mice in our house and he won't even go after them. So I'm like, I need a Wolfgang cat. My cat would ask Eleanor for belly rubs. <laughs> <laughs> I think Narcissa would watch you. Oh, yeah. She, She'd be sure. like, oh, no, mommy's yep. dying. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That would be my cat. Cookie would be like, oh, Sarah dead. I'll eat her face. <laughs> Sarah, will you tell us your moan and groan? Yeah, Absolutely. So um, I'm sorry, I have two moans. Um, same with Rebecca. I was, I was making lots of like hand gestures when she was talking. Uh, but the, just like the evolution of the hallway portraits was fascinating to me. And I loved that so much. Cause it's like, you felt, she felt the eyes on her. And then as she started to understand more history of the family, how those portraits changed. And when she was running up there to turn the candle on and that they were all in pieces because they were chopped into pieces, uh, was, I'm even getting goose pimples right now. <laughs> Thinking about it, I'm like, that is, I feel like those would almost scare me the most. I don't know. They're pretty scary. But also... The moment, I think it was just so pivotal to me when Adrian goes out of the house because she wants to get the stuff that she dropped and Edith comes off of the top of the roof. And like, I could see that moment where she just drops down to the ground from the roof, scared me so much. And it was such a good, I was like, I love this because I could see it. And then, uh, and then of course, Adrian knew that Edith or well, Eleanor keeps saying Edith. I'm like, it's hard because she keeps thinking it's Edith, but Eleanor is active during the day. That was very frightening because before (gasps) all of the haunting had been at night. So you think she's safe. And then she goes out and she's Mm -hmm. on the fucking roof. Oh my Um, God. Already terrifying. And it's day. So, you know, she's trapped in this house no phone, can't get to the car, can't run through the woods. And like now there's no relenting. It's not even like there's a time when she's safe. Yes. And just the, the 
when they talk about her on her four all fours freaks mm-hmm. me out because they it's like a spider she's like a spider where she's like on all fours on top of the roof and she's scuttling down and drops on it's just too much but it's so good so it's all mixed into one anyway what was your groan okay so my groan was i do wish that there was a little bit more back history of adrian i okay. get that you know we know that she was like she didn't have any money she was a writer um and so she came to this house I just felt like we got thrown into this story but I really wish for character development I just wish I knew a little bit more about Adrian even like just a couple of pages about more about her would have just helped me so much because in the beginning I love the book but it was hard for me to understand who Adrian really was. And then I love the story so much. So it's such a good book, but I really would have loved a little bit more about her. I agree with yeah, that. I can see that. That's actually my grown as well. I liked Adrian uh, and I thought the book had no fat, but I felt like it needed a little bit of fat uh, because I felt like Adrian was, an, like she definitely moved that story along but I don't feel like I know very much about her. And she didn't feel incredibly specific to me. However, the story was so original and the scenes were very scary and the mystery actually really paid off and the ending was good. So like, to me, it it fascinates me because I'm like, oh, that character not being totally developed didn't bother me as much as I think it would have had the payoff not been so good. So that's my groan. And then my moan is actually the moment where Adrian goes outside uh, because all of the lights keep going off. And like she like wraps a cord around the electrical fuse box and then the lights go off again. And then she goes out to the electrical fuse box to see who messed with it. And the cord is still wrapped around it. So you know that somehow something is cutting off the lights without opening that box. And that was very scary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I loved that. It's so true. When she found that out, I was so terrified. And honestly, I was worried about, so I read this book actually after Rebecca and Jonathan Hurry completed it. And I had already seen their messages about how scary it was. And I was like, I don't know. I don't read a lot of scary books. So I don't, I don't know if I can do this. Uh, but it was done in such a great way that I could handle it and not completely freak out. But uh, yes, that moment, I can feel that too. <laughs> it's very scary. All right. We are going to play our game. Okay. All right, ladies. We are going to play a game called Totally Twinning. And this is a game inspired by Edith and Eleanor being twins. I am going to read you some facts about twins. There are six facts. And you will tell me if they are true or false. Yeah. Oh, I I was hoping you guys would have said that in unison. It's fine. Move on. It would have been recording didn't pick it up. It would have been in keeping with the twin theme. It's fine. You've ruined it. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Fact number one: Dogs cannot tell the difference between identical twins who live in the same house and eat the same food. False. That sounds right. 
It is false. They have mm -hmm. studied even twins who have the same diet and same environment. Dogs can tell by smell uh, what things belong to which twin. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, fact number two. Some twins are mirror twins with all of their features being equal, but opposite. Wait, what do you mean by opposite? Like their personalities are opposite? The side of the body. So they're like reverse symmetrical. Yes. Hmm. Huh. True? Rebecca? Sure. It is true. There are twins that are called mirror twins and some of their features such as hair curl patterns, freckles or birthmarks are the same, but on the opposite side. That's fascinating. Yes. Okay, question number three. As a country, Japan has the highest occurrence of twins. Uh, no. False. I agree. False. Ooh, do you have a guess on where it would be? Hmm. It's a good one. Nope. No guess at all. It would be totally random. I could do a totally random guess. <laughs> well, I will go ahead and tell you. Africa as a continent has the highest record of twin births, but specifically the Republic of Benin reports 27.9 twins per 1,000 births. Oh my God, I'm glad I didn't have my baby there. No twins for me. No, thank you. Mm -mm. I don't know if it works <laughs> like that. I, <laughs> I got on a plane and I went to the Republic of Benin and now I have twins. Damn it. I mean, you never know. You never know. <laughs> okay, question number four. Mothers of twins have shorter life expectancies. I can see that. Yeah. Non-mother myself. <laughs> I want to say just the toll that babies take on your body. They really do. Babies take everything from you. Everything. Honestly. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to say true on this one. It is actually true. False. Thank the fuck God, because one of my friends has twins. So my good news for her. Mothers of twins have a 7.6% lower annual risk of dying after menopause. However, mm, scientists always. think it's caused by having twins. They think instead, uh, women who are more robust and therefore would live longer anyways, are more likely to give birth to twins. Mm -hmm. Lisa wasn't so robust when I had my kid. A little more robust now. <laughs> All right. Question number five. Okay. William Shakespeare was the father of twins Hamnet and Judith. Oh, that's the question? Yeah. Okay. True or false? False. I'll go with Rebecca. It's true. Isn't that stupid? <laughs> Hamnet. Hamnet. <laughs> that sounds made up it does. It also, does. interestingly guess their mother's name it's a famous actress Anne Hathaway oh, <laughs> oh boy or girl 
Yeah, so uh, those children were the prince and princess of Zagovia. <laughs> yes. Okay, last question. I'm going to list five celebrities, and I want you to tell me which of these celebrities has a twin. Oh. Ready? Ashton Kutcher, Scarlett Johansson, Giselle Bunken, Vin Diesel, Alanis Morissette. Okay, I think Ashton Kutcher does. Okay. Rebecca Alanis says Morissette? And Sarah says Alanis. Any totally. other celebrities? And Scarlett. And Scarlett. The answer is all of them have twins. Oh. What? And Alanis Morissette's twin looks so funny. Really? He like, it looks like her with a mustache. <laughs> oh my God. It's amazing. Nice. Yes. It's very funny. Uh, all of them, like, I was like, this is wild. So yeah, all of them have twins. That was very cool. What? And I love how you set up that question so that we were all right. <laughs> That's right. You were both right and wrong. Sarah, <laughs> <laughs> what would you give this book out of 10? I think I would give it a nine. Oh, okay. Rebecca? Um, an eight and a half. I think I would go a nine. I really liked it. Literally, my only qualm is I wish... Adrian had been a little bit more of a specific character, yeah. but I mean, honestly, uh, if it was a movie, I wouldn't have thought that. Right. If it was Rebecca Hall, uh, it like screaming in a house being hunted by a ghost, I would have never <laughs> thought, I wish I knew what she did before this, right. you know? So <laughs> I would give it a nine. Uh, okay, and would you read more by Darcy Coates? I think I would, but I might need to give it some time because it seems like she writes a lot in this kind of genre uh, that I like. So maybe I'll give it a year closer to next Halloween, but I probably would. Maybe eventually, maybe. I think I would. And I want to actually read one very soon to see if it's totally different. Yeah. True. So I'm very curious. Yeah, that's, I want to read more by her. I, I'm part of a spooky book club on Facebook that goes on about her all the time. Uh, I just worry about reading too much by her and seeing too many similarities. Yeah, and I wonder that too, because uh, all, a lot of her book covers look very similar. Yes. And so I'm like, is that a thing? Or is it like totally not And every character and every story is different? Yeah. So I'm very curious. Mm -hmm. All right, so... What else are each of you reading, watching, or listening to that you're currently in love with? Rebecca, will you go first? I just finished the book, Howl's Moving Castle, <gasps> oh. um, which is the inspiration for the Studio Ghibli movie. Mm -hmm. They are nothing alike, so don't expect them to be. Okay. Um, but they're both very good in their own ways. Oh, good to know. Mine is actually on my little read next shelf right back there, so... Excellent. Mine is, not to toot my own horn here, but I'm currently reading an anthology that I am currently in. It's called It Came From the Closet. Queer. Whoop, 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 whoop. Can we just give a whoop, whoop, whoop right on the podcast? Right for Jonathan Leon Robbins. Yeah. I don't know the name of the now. Dun, dun. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I'm reading, I'm reading, it came from the closet, Queer Reflections on Horror. It's edited by Joe Valesi and it has, uh, it has essays by Bruce Owens Grimm, by Carmen Maria Machado, who wrote In the Dream House, which is one of the best memoirs I've ever read. And it has an essay by me too. And so you could learn lots about my sex life. And I get to talk about this B movie from 1960 called The Leech Woman, which is honestly terrible. And I love it so much. So please pick it up at Barnes and Noble or Books A Million or Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> and it is highly rated by Library Journal. So please pick it up because uh it's gonna be amazing i'm so it excited not to like keep tooting my own horn but <laughs> you it should start review from booklist and publishers weekly so yes. i'm like what that's amazing yeah. and i'm happy for everyone who's in it because honestly i keep reading stuff uh, i keep reading people's work over and over again and i'm like am i on this level what is happening you are you know what i work for a library and uh, i don't uh, do the collection development for uh, our adult collection and i didn't even have to recommend this book for our uh for who does the collection development uh, to pick up this book. And I was very excited to see that they're already purchasing it and they're picky. So uh, yeah, all around, read this book. What about <laughs> so right you, now, what are you Yeah, reading? so I am actually reading uh, Amari and the Night Brothers. Uh, as a youth librarian, I read a lot of middle grade fiction. So um, I, it, it's Amari and the Night Brothers by B.B. Alston. And it's it's really good. I It's kind of funny because it's such a good character and I really like Amari. But I also have a five-year-old and she likes to watch Odd Squad. If anyone has seen Odd Squad before, it is a very bizarre show about kids who are like investigators and they just investigate the odd in the world. It's a very funny show. This book is not supposed to be necessarily funny, but in this book, she has to wear like to go and she's trying to find her brother who's missing. And he was part of this supernatural world that she had no idea existed. And she has to put on like very weird outfits, like their whole, like what they wear in that world is weird. Like something that we wouldn't necessarily, we'd be like, that's bizarre. She has to put on this striped like suit to go to like her uh, appointment and so part of this book makes me think about that show so it makes me kind of laugh uh but it is a very good book I love the character I'm a I'm getting into it now so um and I'm excited because the sequel uh just came out so I just ordered that for my library um yeah so I'm really enjoying it Oh, yeah, that book has been on my TBR for a while. It was on the uh, Sunshine State Readers list as well for both middle grade and elementary. So I've heard really great things. Oh, I love that. So <laughs> next podcast, we are going to be talking about Living Dead in Dallas by Charlene Harris. <laughs> I can't wait. It's book two in the True Blood or Sookie Stackhouse. Sookie Stackhouse. <laughs> series so we're going to continue reading that and then the episode after that in case you are following along our two friends in Germany and our five friends in Vietnam hello <laughs> <laughs> and my mom <laughs> 
uh, our book After Living Dead in Dallas, we're going to be reading Reluctant Immortals by Gwendolyn Keist, which is a book about uh, if uh, Bertha from Jane Eyre mm -hmm. and Lucy, Lucy. Lucy from Dracula, uh, if they teamed up and were in the 60s, and I'm all about that. Yeah. Um, and I have to tell you, Gwendolyn Keist is one of my favorite authors. She's amazing, uh, like, uh, in writing horror. So I'm so excited for you guys to read her. I've already started. <gasps> is it good? I'm not going to tell you. Damn it. <laughs> well, readers, until next time. Listeners, you're not reading. I don't know. Are you reading this podcast? I don't know. Good? Good? Yeah, sure, sure. Readers, too. They're reading books. It applies. Yeah, readers and listeners, thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you on the next episode of They're Coming to Read You, Barbara! The music for They're Coming to Read You, Barbara, comes from Eric Matias at www.soundimage.org. Yes!